Beyond the darkness, beyond the human evolution, is Khan, a genetically superior tyrant. Exiled to a barren planet, banished by a starship commander he is destined to destroy. Left for dead, he has survived. Chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round Perdition's flames before I give him up. There she is. against their shields. The base is stubborn. Scotty, I need warp speed in three minutes or we're all dead. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me. Marooned for all eternity. Buried alive. At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Hello everyone and welcome back to the show. Welcome with me, Mr. Mark Maddox. How you doing, sir? Yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> you, well, I mean, you know, at least nah, I'm doing registers. good. I'm doing pretty good. Ah, good, good, good. We are back tonight to talk to you about um, a very impressive film from 1982. I had never heard of it before. Oh, shut Um, up. (laughs) Shut up. He's a liar. We're back back into into our Star Trek mode. We're talking about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, uh, the film that without, uh, without fluffing it at all... Saved Star Trek, let's be clear. Hmm. Uh, Without the massive critical and financial success of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, uh, I don't know if it's probable that we would have gotten any more movies. They might have attempted another television series, but everybody was really concerned that um, the, uh, the, the situation they'd run into with the first film had maybe, they feared, soured the public on going to see a Star Trek film in the theaters. Uh, They were wrong, because Star Trek II, boy, what a movie. And let's stop for just a second here and talk about just how incredible the entire year for for genre cinema was in 1982. Well, first, first I thought, because we were talking about 1982, I thought tonight's movie we were talking about was Megaforce. So I'm very very unhappy. Oh, did you did you watch the wrong film? When I watched Mega Force, I definitely watched the wrong film. (laughs) Well, yes, that is. It's like 1982, the amazing year. Except for it's easier to say what film stunk 
the list is shorter of what films stunk than what films were great. And Megaforce was on that list. I think there was was Solar Babies on that same year. There was like oh, a couple, I don't think Solar Babies came out in eighty two. Okay, maybe uh, so. But there was like one or two other films that came out, and it well, was like. I mean, but everything else yeah. was anywhere from good to incredible. I mean, we really we that that really is considered the great year. Oh yeah, it's a tr- it's a truly astonishing year. It's in it's in contention for being one of the greatest genre genre release years of all time. Uh, and and when you look at the list, I mean, okay, we're talking about movies like Blade Runner, Carpenter's The Thing, Conan the Barbarian, E.T., uh, Poltergeist, Poltergeist, uh, Cat uh, this, People, Tron. Tron. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of their the, the oh, list. Oh uh, well, uh, Sword and the Sorcerer. Did we the say Beastmaster? Did, did we say Road Warrior, Mad Max Two? Uh, exactly. That was. A, I mean, it was just. A, it was an incredible year with one or two little stinkers that slipped in. And well, and, w- w- without talking about stinkers, let's not forget Creep Show. And uh, oh, Creep Show was eighty two. I didn't even know that. Oh, I yeah, was, it was eighty two. Wow. The Dark Crystal. The Dark Crystal. I liked. Entity. I actually liked that one. I thought the Dark Crystal. I mean, it's not a. It's not perfect, but it's it's. A, no. I, I love watching the film. It's it's got a uh, lot of beauty. A movie. A, a movie. I have a lot of time for the Secret of Nim came out. At oh, 82. that's a great one too. Yeah, sure. The Last <sighs> Unicorn. Yeah. See, I never saw that one. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, yes, and of course the the the, the great and glorious. Uh, <laughs> Megaforce. <laughs> God Megaforce. You know, I think that, I don't know if that was the first film. No, the first one I ever got up and raspberried as the credits ended was that H.G. Wells, The Shape of Things to Come with Jack Palance with that robot. Oh, that, yeah. And I literally. 19, 1979. Got, one, yeah, so it would have been. Terrible. And I literally got up and went in the theater. That one and then Megaforce and then maybe one or two others where you just got up and went, what a piece of crap. You know, so, um, but yes, uh, 1982, and I always used to add in stuff like, uh, like Conan and stuff because it wasn't actually part of the summer, but the whole year sounds like ultimately it was, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was a great, great year. I think it's the great year for when we say genre people, we're talking about fantastical films, whether it's science fiction, fantasy or horror. And I still think that that's clearly the winner and i even think it more now after you added in some more on that list secret of nim was a damn good film hell yeah. of a film yeah it really was so anyway but uh megaforce not so much so well, i mean the thing is you don't have to you don't have to stretch too far even if you're if even if you're just talking about other popular films of 1982 hmm. 1982 saw the verdict and tootsie come out oh now, those are both great movies Think, yeah, I was about to say, and the king of comedy. Well, I mean, yeah. whole, I mean, yeah, these those are, people, those people were lucky. I think, I think this summer has been shaping up uh, to a pretty good year. This year, I'm actually happy. There's not just one or two films. It seems like there's multiple films that people are gravitating towards. But yeah, it's yeah. rare to have one where so many films, even the ones that started off not hot, the thing was a critical oh, failure thing. and a financial failure and Blade oh, yeah. Runner financial Same failure right. and yet now over the years they have they they've risen and I knew at the time when I saw them those films were going to get vindicated and they did you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah very cool but the one we're talking about is uh, uh Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan 
Never heard now, of here's it. A, here's, a, here's a question for you. Before we get into a, a larger discussion of it, uh, th- uh, this was the first Star Trek film that I got to see in the theater. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I have since seen uh, all of them that have come out since in the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has not always been a wonderful experience, but we will talk about that when we talk about a different film further down the pike. Mm-hmm. But uh, in this instance, I have very, very vivid memories of seeing Star Trek II in the theater. Right. Um, I was uh, I was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, at that point, When you're 14, you do not have a whole lot of agency. So it wasn't as if I was going to the movies and seeing anything I wanted to at that age. These were events. And so I have very strong memories of going to see Star Trek II. And uh, what it is is there was a a two-theater screen, a two-theater or two-screen theater. Uh, I'll eventually get this right, people. Bear with me. Uh, in a small town, uh, just over the well, just just near where my uh, my grandmother lived, uh, and um, the name of the town was Scott- the name of the town is Scottsboro, Alabama. They had a, a theater with two screens, and on one screen was Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, and on on screen two there was Rocky Three. Now. That's an, I'm going to say this. I actually really like that movie, Tip. I. It's it, it's the it's, comic book Rocky movie. It's yeah. not the first two. The first well, two. The first one's the a comic, great movie. The, the comic book Rocky movie is four. <laughs> well, I mean, but still, three was the you know the uh, comic strip <laughs> or whatever yeah, you want to call. It. Maybe I maybe. I still love Rocky three. I love Rocky three. Rocky four was the one where I finally went okay. I'm, I'm done. But yeah, but the yeah, first yeah. three. Uh, but the third one was definitely a a, a tour de force with that the, that that those sounds. What uh, the the sound was like. I mean that when they punched each other it sounded like nuclear blasts or something. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is really intense. But even that one I liked. I mean, that's just once again another film that I go, yeah, yeah, popcorn muncher for sure. But I still love it. So the two well, films, um, and one was Rapticon. Well, did it? Did yep. And of course, I was going. There, there were there were several of us going, and we were we were going there with the man who was currently dating my mother. This was post divorce, mm-hmm. and we and so it was me and my little brother, and this this man who would eventually be my stepfather. His two sons, who were the same age as I was and my little brother, so it was really kind of weird. But at the same time, we all got along very well. Okay. And so it was the it was the five of us and uh, another friend from school. We were all going. We were we all piled in the same vehicle and went. I and uh, I, I, there was a split. Some of us were planning to go see Star Trek Two, and some of us were planning to see Rocky Three. And when we got there, Rocky Three was sold out. So all of us ended up seeing Star Trek 2. Right. And not everybody was pleased about this. Who wasn't? Uh, uh, the, the the man who would eventually become my stepfather was, was displeased. He was there to see Rocky 3. Right. But the thing is, coming out of that theater, we were all pleased. <laughs> everybody was, was happy with Wrath of Khan. I will ne- I will never forget walking out of that theater and both being insanely sad but also a little hopeful because the you know that it, it's a roller coaster ride and um, we'll talk we'll talk uh, a little bit about that as we go on but right. that movie very efficiently 
won a, a packed audience over in the middle of nowhere, Alabama. Right. Uh, and so knowing that there was at least a couple of people in that theater who, you know, didn't really have any choice. And that was what the, that was the only movie they could get a ticket to and still walked out of there going, damn, that was good. Well, that's cool. I don't, I don't want to run down a rabbit hole here, but I'll never forget that the week that we were supposed to get my sisters and I was going to be allowed to take the car and take my sisters to see E.T., and my mom, I did something, or one of us kids said something that made her mad. And she goes, you kids are not going to CET. You're not using the car. And we're like, Ooh. you're kidding, right? You're making a joke. And she was mad. And so I don't know what it was, but we walked out of the house and we walked to the nearby theater. And I was so pissed because the movie that was the only movie available to see near me that anybody would have gone to see was Rocky three and I did not want to go see it. I didn't want to see it. I'm like, oh my God, ET's on and I'm watching this crap. Oh, I loved it. So it's a weird okay. it's a weird thing. It's sort of like the reverse, but it happens sometimes. Every once in a while the movie's good enough to get you to sort of, you know. But um, anyway, so as you were saying, so we're talking about Wrath of Khan. You saw it with your then family or soon to be mm -hmm. family or however you want to call it. And yeah. uh, you guys enjoyed the hell out of it. And uh, oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, cool. All right. So that that was and, and it, that was my first theatrical experience with a Star Trek film. And uh, what you know, what what a what a blast. What an what an incredible thing. Uh-huh. Uh how did what, what was uh when I I am assuming you did eventually get to see Star Trek 2 in the theater or did you see it the opening weekend? No, no, no. I saw it the I saw it the the the, the night it opened. Uh mm. mine, my my experience with Star Trek 2 is mixed. I'm not quite as crazy about it as as some Star Trek fans are and it's gotten even bigger and bigger as it's gone along. I think there's greatness in the film. My problem was a multiple fold. One is that me and my sisters and some friends wanted to go to the theater. So we once again walked out of the house. And just before we saw Star Trek II Wrath of Khan, four hours earlier, we had walked into the theater at a nearby theater and watched Poltergeist, Ooh. which is a tour de force of uh, mm -hmm. 1980 special effects. It's very funny. It's very warm. It's a great movie. And then went to see a movie that was a great movie, but special effects-wise was not as... It wasn't as much of a punch in the face, Wrath of Khan. Well, I mean, you're talking about the difference between a science fiction story and a horror film. No, too. what I'm talking about is it doesn't matter whether it's science fiction or horror. What it matters is how much stuff they slam in your face. And Poltergeist was... was was punching you you know what i mean oh, or well, wrath yeah, of khan yeah. was a plot driven thing the thing with wrath of khan that drove me absolutely happy was the writing of captain kirk that mm -hmm. was to me the pinnacle of that film i don't even i i just think that that his when he's sitting there and he says to his not wife, she wasn't a wife, a girlfriend that obviously had a child with him and, and everything, and then they went yeah. their separate ways. When he finally, after all these years of being the stud, 
finally had his life catch up with him of being that guy that we knew in the 60s who was always getting laid. And he goes, you got a guy out there that wants to kill me and you show me a son that wants to help. And I'm like, damn. And I'm like, it's James T. Kirk. The T is for Tomcat and the chickens have come home to roost with him. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was amazing. I thought that was the best and I'm like, this is the reason this film is great, is because of Captain Kirk feeling older, people telling him, you got to get back to who you are, you know, to hell with all this shit. And then this gets thrown in on top of him. And I was blown away by that aspect of the film. I still think it's the greatest part of that movie. Uh, well, I will, I will second that, but I, will, I would add that it's, it's not just how Kirk is written. And performed, I would add. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that the performance from Shatner is brilliant. Yeah. But I think also the writing for all of the other characters oh, is yeah, yeah, equally yeah. Oh, as yes. good. Yes, it is. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying that for me, having been a Star Trek fan since uh, the early 70s, and to have that come up was like, I don't want to say a punch to the gut, because that sounds almost like a negative. It's sort of like, oh, so there are consequences to what you do. Yeah, and and, the film, and 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 that's the first time those consequences have really been shown. We get more of that yeah. in in future films, sure. But but in this one, uh, and and that's one of the things that I you know when we discuss six, I think that that's another thing that Nicholas Meyer was very good at in six. He fo focuses in with Kirk on something that is ugly yes. in his. In his character, something he needs to exorcise. Exactly. Yeah. And in this, in this, it's the flip of that. Yeah. Where and we're seeing, where you see, where you're right. You're seeing his past catch up with him, and him having to cope with it, and going through various stages of having to cope with it. Yeah. Uh, to me, uh, early on in the film, I was very happy. Of course, I, and I'll say this about DeForest Kelly. DeForest Kelly is the only person in, well, I don't know, I guess it'd be a little bit of Shatner, but you can say through all the, the, the first Star Trek, the motion picture is, is played kind of flat. It's played more like 2001, a space odyssey. But so, not with, not with, the, not with Kelly, Kelly's Kelly pops. I don't even know that. I, I, I didn't think he did very much either, but, but to he's me, only he's only given a little to do. But when he when he shows up in that beard and starts yelling at people, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, that's a shit ton of fun. <laughs> but but in in the films, D. Kelly is the only person, even in one particular Star Trek film that I think you and I are going to sink our fangs into. Even in that one, he gets a great scene. Even in every Star Trek film, he gets at least one great scene and in this hmm. and this one yeah for yeah. me when he is sitting there doing the opposite of what he was doing in star trek the motion picture is you know shatner's like oh we've got our duties and all that kind of stuff and he goes bull and starts telling him he goes you know you should have never and by the way i am talking tonight having watched the director's cut uh, oh yeah a couple well, of times that's, that's in the last the, few days that's well, the that's the version of the film that i think that it, it is the best one there was a couple of things yeah. that when they put it on uh, television and they put some stuff back in most of it was interesting although it, it needed to be 
uh, fixed up. It, it was terrible. It was a, it was a, it was a little it was a little flabby. It was warbly. Version. It was warbly. Yeah. Like the sound sounded weird. But like Captain, Kirk, I'm so glad that you did not keep in the Captain Kirk walking through the Jeffries tube or whatever, going, "Hey, that's my son," and Spock going, "Fascinating." That I, I just like why? Oh uh, no, no, that's that's in the director's cut. No, it isn't because I watched it twice today. So no. dude, I I, ju- I just watched it and it was in the cut that I saw. No, he didn't say that. I'm absolutely positive you are. What are you watching it from? Uh, the 4K, 4K edition, oh, the well, brand what's, new release. What's, what's weird about this one is I'm watching it from my old two two disc DVD set, and it's in that version. Well, it's like it's like the final cut of a Blade Runner. They finally did everything and went back in things I didn't agree with over the multiple cuts, the 47 cuts of Blade Runner. And they finally got almost everything right. And I'm like, you know what? I guess I'm going to say I'm going to go along with this as a final cut. But I hated that. That's my son. Because fascinating shouldn't be the word. He would say something like interesting or oh or something yeah. but fascinating yeah. and it's, and it's, is used it's the for, only it's it's the only scene in the director's cut that i think is completely extraneous so it, I it's sort that. of like corny is is the word i would use and and it's gone now i think they finally went back through and let nick meyer finally look at everything and go okay that doesn't need to go but anyway so um but d kelly in that part where he's trying to tell kirk to get back to to, to what he loves was was brilliant it was absolutely brilliant by the way with in the background, uh, in, in Kirk's apartment, the skyline is the background painting that was used in the uh, promenade room scene in Towering Inferno. It's the same painting. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, but they said if you look real close, you can see damage to it because it had been mothballed for years, and then they, they dusted it off and put it out there. <laughs> but it's the same San Francisco uh, uh, painting used in the background in Towering Inferno. Well, listen, I'm glad you brought up DeForest Kelly because um, DeForest really does get... Uh, he, he gets a wide range of things that he gets to do in this. You can see why, as an sure. actor, he would be pleased to do this. Because what you're describing are those wonderful scenes just between him and Shatner, where they're it, it's very it's very much an intimate setting where the two of them are talking about their personal lives, mm-hmm. and that that is that's a good meaty, very good you know two hander sequence between two veteran actors. Mm-hmm. But then DeForest Kelly also gets a lot of other stuff to play. With my favorite being the flip of that, where he is kind of he's kind of he's kind of losing his shit a little when he's introduced to the reality of the Genesis device and going, right. oh well you know you know six days is a little too freaking long. How I, we'll just do it in six minutes. Yeah. And then he's he's the one who's in the room and who's expressing the thing that needs to be said, which is this is fucking crazy. Yeah. How did this happen? Well, you know? he's us. DeForest Kelly, for the most part, is us. Out of almost anybody in the show, we're not the we're not the we're not the ultimate male Captain Kirk, and we're not the Vulcan. We're the guy from South Georgia or Middle Georgia, yeah. and we're a regular American person. We can we can empathize with what he's saying, and you know that's the way I've always felt about McCoy. You know, uh, I always felt that D. Kelly, and I think a lot of people agreed with it, even on the set of the show, that he was probably their best actor. Oh, to a large degree, especially especially when that show started. Yeah, because he was the one with the most experience. He was the one that had been in a shit ton of movies. Yeah, uh, he 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 knew he knew what he was doing from the get go. He could take this show or he could walk away from it. Sure. He was good. Yeah, he was really good. 
He was so good. He was so, he's like one of those guys, it's like he is like a comfortable pair of shoes. I mean, he was just like sort of like the way I always felt about Harrison Ford. It's like the guy was just laid back. He just was comfortable in his own skin and it shows right. on on the camera, you know? Yeah, it does. It yeah. does. So, um well, go okay, go ahead. Go. Well, I was just just t- talking about we're going to assume a certain level of familiarity with the plot and storyline. Um the 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 joys of this film are not recounting uh the the plot that I think most people listening to this will already know. The joys are digging into the details that really stand out for each of us. And mm-hmm. I think that having started with uh the cast to a certain degree, I do want to once again point out that at this point these characters, to one degree or another, had lived with these characters for more than uh, 16, 17 years. Yeah, maybe 18, uh, 17, 18, yeah. something like that, yeah. Uh, you know, depending on when they actually started filming. I can't remember. I think they started filming in 66. So, yeah. We're talking about a- actors who uh, knew the characters, felt comfortable playing the characters. And so it was all. And, and so it was really technically much more for Leonard like, Nimoy, 64. Spot the the cage I think was started in sixty four. Oh wait, yeah, you're right. Sixty four, maybe sixty five, something like that. But yeah, so yep, yep. Yeah. Well, that would be the, that would be the same for uh, for Sulu uh, for George Takei as well because he was in uh, he was in that original pilot as no, well. That's no, no, he wasn't. He was in he was in the next oh, yeah, one. Yeah, he, he was. was in the second. George Takei was not in the cage. Oh, was he? Oh, wait, man. Oh, he wasn't in the cage. He was in the second pilot. Now, right. now this is the point for all of our friends who like to watch. Just say it. Mark, you are right. I am wrong. You Mark, are, you were almost right. You are good. I am evil. <laughs> yes, Rodney. Evil Rodney. No, but anyway. But no, he was in the second pilot uh, playing the mathematician. And that was 65. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it, yeah, yeah or, or early 66. I don't know. I just, I love all, I love that time period for Star Trek. It's amazing to me. But, um, so yeah, um, uh, you know, everybody gets great lines. The only person, here's one thing that I, I, I kind of want to bring up and it was always like, why does, and I don't have any problem with because Walter Koenig does a great job, but it's oh, like, yeah. why does Koenig get the part where he was with Khan or he saw Khan or he remembered Khan when he wasn't in the episode somebody could said he saw him, he was down in the lower decks at the time and blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. I got no problem with that. Oh yeah. But my question is, I all in an alternate reality, I would have liked to have seen uh, maybe so he could shut up a little bit and quit bitching about William Shatner is uh, George Takei uh, having gotten that scene because was George Takei in Space Seed? Was he in that episode? I, um, I, I do believe so. He was. He was. He was in all three years of the show. But well, see, the but is, there was a lot of episodes I, I he wasn't in. I mean, there was episodes he was not well, in. I, I don't. I don't know. I would have to go back and look. I think that uh, there was that period of time when he was away shooting the Green Berets with John Wayne. I don't remember. I think that was in season two. Though. I think so. And so the thing is, that would have been a little bit more. But I don't know why they picked Chekhov over Sulu. All like I said. Kate. Oh, I. I, th- I think. I, I think I know why. I think because. At that point, um, especially just the with 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 Sulu's character, there's a there's a certain solidity to having him in that in that uh, in that chair on the bridge, right? That really that really brings something. He's it, there's there's something about well, he's, seeing it's him almost there like that him and Scotty are more like the Enterprise than than anybody. I mean, he's the yes. guy that drives it. Scotty he's the guy that keeps it running. That's uh, where I was going with that with the next statement, which is, huh. it, as long as Sulu is at the helm, 
there's a certain level of, and you can almost, it's one of those things that I think actually kind of gets expressed in one of the later films where it's like, no, 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 no. Uh, so we, we, I've got Sulu in the, in the helmsman's chair. I'm, I'm confident. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it comes up in, in a, in a weird way, uh, that, that level of confidence in having Sulu in that chair at the end of the last movie where he just says to Sulu, just, you know, basically just wherever and uh you you see that again where it's uh sulu in this film having to find a way to target the the phasers when they can't they can't get a computer lock right and he just tells him best guess you know do your best right Do, do what you can right yeah i just i just look at it like like sulu has no major moment in the film no he doesn't he's out of everybody even uhura uh has something uh Chekhov definitely does yeah yes. and i feel a little bit bad for him but i i don't think that's i don't think that's william shatner <laughs> i don't i don't think we can put we can put that one on william shatner i mean this was a you know different well, the thing is though the the good news is, is that sulu does get some juicy stuff in three four and six. Oh yeah 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 so, yeah 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 so, yeah, yeah. So. Especially, especially six, but um, yeah, and then yeah. later in uh, what was it? Uh, was it next generation? One of the one of the shows he he came back where they combined the ending of uh, Star Trek Six, uh, the the whole uh, uh, planet being destroyed, the Klingon planet being destroyed with him, and it is is in an episode of uh, yeah, what, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I mean, can't remember, I can't remember what episode it was. Yeah, but, no, yeah aren't, aren't we experts, people? To all of our fans out there, <laughs> we're experts, aren't we? What episode was that with the thing with the tri- I, I don't the even Tribble having sex with the Gorn? I, I can't like remember that. what the hell that was. Oh, that was a good episode. That, that was one, good. Yeah, that the, one was that was that was real close to that NC seventeen line. It really was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the name of the ship too in that one, NC seventeen. It was one of those where the Tribbles, <laughs> Tribbles like and the Gorns like crying and he, and the Tribble goes suffer, bitch. But anyway, so, uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I'm, oh God, uh, the show's going to be what, canceled. What, 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 what have we done? What have we done? So anyway, as we were saying, so let's talk about, um, I, I, I mean, there are some negatives to this film I've got to talk about, but there's also, oh, okay, well, uh, well, let's, let's talk, we'll, I, talk what, about what you find or the, to find to be the negatives. Well, okay. Okay. First off, let me, let me level the playing field before, you know, Star Trek fans come to my house and burn it down and shit like that, because I'm, a, I'm as big a Star Trek fan as most people, but I think that this movie got screwed a little bit by Paramount who cut the budget down too small. Uh, oh well, for I me, mean, I, I mean, I, you I, went from the motion I, I, picture. Agree, agree to a certain degree. Okay, so let's. Well, I'll, let's start I'll give there. you some. Yeah. I'll give you some pointers, and you know, I mean, one thing I I don't like. Okay, Star Trek: The Motion Picture had you know all these different special effects companies coming to it, and that's one of the reasons I still love it. And there are aspects about Star Trek: The Motion Picture I love more than Wrath of Khan. One of it is the visual deep space look of that first film which made me feel like I'm watching Star Trek in deep space, finally. The ship's right. not, not lit up from all the sides and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, that doesn't mean that I think that, that Star Trek The Motion Picture is as well-written as Wrath of Khan, because I don't think that. But um, I, I got a little irritated with things like repeated footage from the first film. I got irritated with the uh, regular one space station just being that beautiful space station that was in the original film just flipped upside down 
that that I saw that immediately. I'm in the theater. I'm going, that's just the old, that's the model of the space station that was floating above Earth in the first film that was photographed so beautifully. And now here it is. And there's no, there's no romance to it. There's no music as people talking and stuff as they float towards it and everything. Uh, well, here's the th- here's the thing though. In both the instances you've named, I never noticed that until it was pointed out. But well I noticed it fact. instantaneously. I'm saying like right then and there when I'm watching, I'm going, "Well, that's footage from." I mean, the whole thing sounds, sounds like a you problem. No, no, no. A- oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Not in that day and age. That's when big budgets were out and about. And like at the beginning where they're doing the Kobayashi Moru, and it's the shot from them firing on Viger. I'm like, "Well, I've seen this already. Come on, just." a different angle please do something uh, you know and and that really got on my nerves but the budget was slashed to like i don't know somewhere around 11 and a half million bucks for this film as opposed to however many millions they had to pay for it i mean I, it's all over the map as to what the motion picture was uh, budgeted at but there is a bit of a cheapness to this film i mean i'm going to i'm going to say that i mean it, it looks more like a tv show uh, as opposed to the first film. And I wish that there had been a melding of somewhere in between the two. Like, okay, we're not going to give it an $11.5 million budget. We're going to give it a 20 or $25 million budget. But Paramount, they're assholes. I mean, we, we knew that through all the time immemorial of Star Trek trying to come back on. The Paramount executives were dicks. And you're hoping that they'll do something and Star Trek The Motion Picture comes out. It does make money. Star Trek The Motion Picture cost a shitload of money and it made money. But but all Paramount could focus on was we could have made a shit ton more money if this damn thing hadn't cost as much as it did. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's because of that whole the guys that did the 7-Up commercial oh, yeah. stuff, yeah. Uh, rehiring special effects people. But you bring somebody in like Douglas Trumbull who has an innate sense of not only special effects but of visual splendor well, like things like 2001 A Space Odyssey and Brainstorm. I mean, the guy really and, – and, and Silent Running. I mean, the guy really had a great sense of the way things should look. And this movie is, is, is ILM. I mean, to me, I look at an ILM and it's like you've got, you know, uh, the Enterprise that looks like it's lit up like on the old TV show, The Reliant, which is a gorgeous looking ship. The design guys did a fantastic yeah. job on the thing, but there's shots of it just being lit up. It almost looks like it's got its own glow about it. We're in Star Trek, the motion picture things were lit up from the ship because they were in deep space. And that still gave me that sense. Like, I feel like I'm watching the enterprise, but I feel like I'm actually seeing it way out in deep space. Uh, well, let me give you, a, let me ask you a question because I've always, especially after this most recent rewatch where, uh, I mean, I'm, I've stayed away from rewatching star Trek two for a lot of years because there was a long period of time there where I had kind of overwatched it and become a little too familiar with it for right. it to have the effect on me that it's, uh, it, it really, it really can have, uh-huh. and so uh, I, I was, oh, I was really I, my my memories of the segment in uh, the the Mutara Nebula, mm-hmm. the, uh, the 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 fight between the two ships mm-hmm. uh, in the latter third of the film. That was absolutely gorgeous, and it it is one of those things that immediately made me wish that I had somehow gotten my hands on uh, the Blu-ray at the very least, so that I could really experience that sequence the way that I saw it went. You know, the, the the couple of times that I've seen it on the big screen, where it just feels so all enveloping, it really feels 
you know, wonderfully both creepy and beautiful at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so there's a part of me that wonders uh, if if they didn't kind of marshal their their budget in the smartest way by having to, you know, by, by pushing the dollars in the direction of the, the final third of the film where they're, they're, they're really going to have to pay things off effectively. Right. And I just, I just wondered if you well, felt that that final sequence is, was as impressive as I did. As you know, I'm a guy that deals with color. I mean, I, I, I mm-hmm. paint, I, I, I do art artwork all the time and I'm very much in tune with color. And one of the things is, it's like, it's almost like the Mutara Nebula is like, as if you took a lot of the noir lighting sequences in the first season and you put them in the blender and you threw some water in with it or liquid in with it and you turned it on. That's the Mutara Nebula. It is almost like a liquid composite of the kind of lighting effects you got in the original first season of Star Trek. Well, for, the first half of that first season. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. More, more the more the noirish sort of lighting, but purples and 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 pinks and reds and golds and the kind of lighting that they put falling over people's eyes. You yep, know, very, yep. very beautiful. And so I'm when I'm watching and I'm going, yeah, this is Star Trek. It's got that Star Trek feel to it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's that. Uh, I and and that's what I'm saying. I, I I want people to understand what I'm saying because there are arguments about films. You ever gotten into arguments with people about James Bond films and you pick the top ten James Bond films and then you fight about them, but you're still fighting about the top ten James Bond films, which are all great. You know what I mean? It's like with Star Trek, it's like we're talking about a great film. We're talking about a film that already is wonderful, but let's sit here and talk about the war. Let's talk about it warts and all. And to me, Star Trek Two, Star Trek Four, and Star Trek Six are the best written Star Trek movies. Star- oh, yeah. Star-, Star Trek Star Trek Three still has greatness in it. Yes, and I've even said that before about Wrath of Khan. I think sometimes it's it's ranked almost like at a godlike level, and it's like let's let's bring it down to the other films. It is a great movie, but is it is? I mean, some people act like it is the greatest film since Lawrence of Arabia or Casablanca, and I don't think it's well. It's, I mean, those people are crazy, but at the same time, I do understand getting overwhelmed by the film. Sure, because it has it has amazing power. For a Star Trek fan, in '82, it was almost like it, it, it was almost too much. Well, it was, it was so a return well to the done. '60s. It was a return. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a matter of fact, I live less than five blocks from where I first saw Wrath of Khan. I mean, out of all the years I've moved around uh, Georgia and two different places, in uh, different places in Florida, in Tallahassee. But you never wanted to get you never wanted to get too far away from that movie theater. Well, I now it, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, it's a bloody exercise place. But it was, and, and before that, it was a computer place. But for years, it was a a movie theater, the best movie theater we had in town. And I had a friend of mine who would go to work, do his day job, get off from work, and then go to that theater every single day in the afternoon and watch Wrath of Khan. And it got so famous that it got in the newspaper, and the guy at the theater told him, you've paid to watch this movie so many times. 
you don't have to pay anymore. Just come in and watch the film. And he did every day. That's how, wow. that's how crazy he was about that movie. For him, it was the cat's pajamas. And to me, it fits in with, the, with, with Star Trek, with that, especially that first and second season. It's got that feel. It still feels like it, even though you're bringing in basically a newcomer, a, a wet behind the ears, and he'll admit it, Nicholas Meyer coming in who basically ordered up all the episodes on 16 millimeter and ran every damn episode and, 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 yep. and, and went through all that. And he's a very smart man. I mean, to, to me, uh, I love the 7% solution. I love the movie that they made from it. I love time after time. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great film. Uh, he, he's a sharp guy. He's a, he's as sharp as attack. And he was, I would say in a lot of ways between him and Harv Bennett, they're the guys that saved Star Trek. You know, you've said oh, that at the beginning would, of the show. I would agree. Yeah. yeah. De- definitely so. Yeah. And when they ran into problems, they called for him again and he came back, whether it was help writing on Star Trek four or, or coming back and directing Star Trek six. Uh, he Very was, true. he had that, he has that gift, that romantic gift that he has. And Star Trek is ultimately about romance and i don't just mean like sexual romance or loving romance i mean like you know passion fire drama noir all those kind of things that you think about that 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 star trek has i mean he's that's his spirit so it it really works they they hit the nail on the head by hiring that guy yeah and they got lucky um he he was he was an inspired choice and all all they really had to go on as far as trust as as putting him just putting him in the director's chair was time after time but the they knew him as a writer and i think that that is that's really the greatest strength especially when you read uh, a lot of the details about the production Mm-hmm. Because he really was still a very green director, oh, yeah. and it was it was a it was it was him being willing. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes uh, he was a bit hard headed about it, but he he did eventually listen to people who were pointing out things that he needed to he needed to know about directing. But in the writing ca- capability, the the writing division of labor, he's the one who took various and sundry scripts and various and sundry ideas and welded them all together into what became this film. Yeah. And uh, the the thing is, is that uh, there are a number of people involved, uh, producers on the movie, who honestly thought and told uh, Nicholas Meyer at the time that he should take a, uh, a bigger credit for the screenplay for this, mm. uh, but he did not. Uh, and uh, the uh, the reason was that he uh, he was he was already in the director's chair, and to kind of you know slap his name all over the script, he felt was a little a, a little much. So, but the thing is, all of them say the same thing, which is that that finished script, the thing that has you know, that that you're seeing on screen, that's much more Nicholas Meyer than it is anybody else. Right. And so. Right. The the his his real strengths were there, and there are these wonder there are some funny anecdotes about him uh, as a director. You know, different different people with more with more experience coming to him and going, "I'm going to show you these dailies, and I'm going to I'm going to show you why this is why you've screwed this shot up, and why we need to reshoot it." Hmm. And they did and they did that a few times. But the thing is, the the film. The film is better for that, and of course, this is just Nicholas Meyer learning his craft. He was he, this was his second movie behind the camera as yeah. as a director, and thank God he took that took those advice that those pieces of advice because those those moments that people talk about some specific ones are standout little visual things that 
you know, they weren't shot that way the first time. They caught it the second time after looking at the dailies and going, okay, here's how this could work, you know, and that's, and that's good to know. But it's another instance of where you're seeing a team of people working very hard on something with budgetary constraints, with a lot of, uh, you know, spit and bailing wire holding things together at times, producing something that is far better than a lot of them thought it was going to be when they started out. Everybody had confidence in the finished script. There was some there was some wrangling at the beginning, uh, trying to figure out exactly how it was going to you know how the script needed to come together. A lot of back and forthing, um, and then of course uh, there is there, here's here's something I want to talk about. Did you know back when you went to see the film for the first time in 1982, were you aware that they were going to kill Spock? Oh yeah. You were? Oh, quite aware. Okay. I cannot remember, and this is terrible, I know. I cannot remember if I was aware of it or not because the the, the seismic shift in my brain when it happened on the screen in front of me kind of just alters all my memories and everything kind of you know crumbles around it. So I can't remember if I had read or heard or something like that about this occurring in the movie before I saw it. But well, I mean, that's one of my problems with the the... the the ending of the not not a problem that's too strong a word my my uh, not caring as much because you got to realize for years i mean we, i mean in the 70s we bought the book i am not spock where mm-hmm. where Leonard Nimoy was trying to break the persona. He goes, look, you guys just look at me as Spock, but I was on Mission Impossible. I was in a play called One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I played Van Gogh, blah, 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 on stage, and you know, all this different stuff. And it was one of those where he was trying to get away from it. He was rejecting you know, the persons like Christopher Lee with Dracula, he was rejecting the character that he was most known for. And, yeah. and so I had heard about this for years. And then he goes, look, I'll, uh, and they had to do everything they could to get him to come back and do motion picture. And then it was like, look, well, can we have you come back one more time? No, I don't want to come back. Well, how about if we kill you? How about if we kill you? And then that's it. Well, it was the it was the idea of getting a juicy death scene that was uh, something that was kind of hooking him in a yeah. ju- a juicy death scene and and everything and then he did it and then they turned around and said hey you know we've got a way to bring you back but we'll let you direct the new movie so in some ways this is one thing about the series that kind of is a little irritating even though they're still great films is so we're following business. We're following that Leonard Nimoy doesn't want to be Spock anymore, but then they give him a director's chair, so now he wants to do it again, and now we're following that, and so we see Star Trek Three, and then he gets, you know, he, he turns around and gets full carte blanche on Star Trek Four, which he does a great job on, and I'm sort of like, I'm watching this going, I know a bit of the background, so it's sort of detracting from me just sitting here and watching a story. And that's the way I felt when I watched him die in Star Trek Wrath of Khan. I knew that he didn't want to play Spock anymore. And I felt sort of like, you don't want to be here, and you're trying to figure a way to get out, and I'm watching you trying to figure a way to get out. So I'm not as invested as some people. 
huh? Well, I, I never felt that way. Maybe but you're but you're a lot younger than I am. I, was, I mean, yeah, I was paying I was, attention I was 14, to the yeah. yeah, and I was like 21, and 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 then yet at the end of and I'll say this real quick, and we'll talk more about it you know, uh, on a future episode. I get much more upset. Or not upset, but much more worked up into near tears at the ending of Star Trek Six because I know it is their end, whether they like it or not. Yeah, that is really them all saying goodbye. We love you, and they sign off. And I get very worked up, but I don't get worked up so much at the death of Spock because I knew it was a guy that didn't want to be there in the first place. Well, I got to say, uh, I did in '82, and I did just a couple of days ago watching this for the first time in a lot of years. I, I, it was the, the waterworks were on, man. I was worked up. And I, you know, I've seen these movies, and I don't know, each one of them a dozen times. I sure. know, but it still had that gut punch. Well, then that's okay. And, and I, that's but I got to right. tell you, but I got to tell you, this time around, I was able to pinpoint exactly how effective and why it was as effective as it was. Well, it's the dialogue. Right. In that scene, yes. when Kirk goes down to engineering, it's the dialogue from Divorced uh, Kelly and James Doohan. Yeah. Their performances are fucking brilliant. Oh, they are. In that scene. Yeah, they're great. I mean, it's it's still a great scene. I, I wish that I was less knowledgeable of Well, now, of okay, that, well, let's, get, in, let's get into that a little bit. Let's get into that just a little bit because... It's 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 something that I've talked about uh, obliquely and sometimes pointedly in other areas of fandom. The, uh, ju- I've, I've talked about how it, it's unfortunate the ways in which the internet have for, has for about twenty years kind of shaped the way we not just view films as as uh, as someone who goes to a theater and, and enjoys the spectacle or enjoys the story, but it's become more and more obvious that. A, a loud number of people bitching, moaning, and griping online can change, you know, almost anything about a movie these days. Sure. Yes, it's horrible. And, uh, it, it's it is it is. Don't get me wrong. There are uh, uh, the the things that I can draw a straight line back to the '60s on, like uh, write-in campaigns to try to extend the life of a television show, or sure. write-in campaigns to get. Uh, a director's cut of a film release, things like that. Those are things that I still admire because right. those are not people bitching, moaning, and complaining about something they haven't seen yet. They're bitching, moaning, and complaining because they think that, that there needs to be more of something, that it's being cut off too soon, or that there was something better there that got submarined for reasons that have nothing to do with the creative element involved in the project. Sure, sure. Those are the kinds of things that I will, in almost every case, maybe say seven or eight out of ten, will stand up and kind of nod to and think of as a good thing to do. Whether I agree or give a shit about the project that's being talked about, I can understand it. Sure. But the 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 thing that I started to think about was how there were leaks to the press uh, about the fact that Spock was going to die in Wrath of Khan, and in the fan press, in the magazines that were published at the time, there was an uproar. People were writing letters and and heaving and hoeing and screaming and bloody murder about it. Sure. Well, Nicholas and, Meyer talks about that. He said he was getting death yeah. threats and shit. Uh, that, uh, you know, Spock dies, you die, and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, the person that 
instigated it was Leonard Nimoy. He wanted to move on. Later, he was like, it was like he finally reached to the thing that Karloff reached with the Frankenstein monster. The old, the old boy. Hey, Kaiju, get the hell out of here. Go on. Don't start barking at me right in the middle of my podcast. Go lay down. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so anyway. Um, I, thought but that, you, I thought you had had a seizure. Or no, something. the dog's okay, over okay. here starting to starting to do the whole Paul Nashy thing with me. We got this little thing that we do. If I take my hand and I curl it like like in a werewolf claw and I call it mm-hmm. Nashy, the dog loses its shit. And I wasn't even doing that. I'm over here talking <laughs> to you and she wants to play Paul Nashy now. Anyway, so the the the, the thing is, um, hell, now I forgot where I was. Um, uh, we're talking about the the the, the leaks to the press in the eighties. The, the leaks to the press. I had a a snippet leak to the press, but it was also compounded with the book "I Am Not Spock." And so it was like Leonard Nimoy didn't want to just be Spock the rest of his life. He didn't even want to play Spock originally on the show. He didn't feel good about it. A guy with pointed ears and stuff like that. He did a great job. Mr. Spock is a wonderful character. But it took him years later to get like Karloff was almost immediately about the Frankenstein monster, which was, hey, the old boy allowed me to eat the rest of my life. You know, to have yeah, to, to yeah. have to have a full belly, and and uh, uh, Leonard, and he definitely became incredibly comfortable with it because he continued to play Spock, and he played up Spock until two thousand nine, and then later he he wrote a book called I Am Spock. It yeah, was a it was coming, a full, coming full circle, coming full circle, and going yeah. like, why am I holding on to this so tight? I mean, yeah. he created a great character. Mister Spock is a very very. It's a great character. It's different. You created something different. And so when he's going to go away in the show, I was like, this is what you wanted in the first place. So I don't have that level of, of worry about. Now, I will tell you something else, too. There was a few other things. One, I told you I'd seen Poltergeist that day and had already had my special effects fix for the day. Uh, Wrath of Khan, it had a budget of, like, I think $20 million or 24 I don't remember, probably 20 and then Rathacon had this budget, and I saw repeats of special. Uh, no, that's that's not correct about the budget, by the way. Of which one? Uh, the 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 budget on Rathacon was twelve million. Well, it was eleven point five something. Yeah. I heard. Yeah. Well, close enough yeah. for God's sake. No, no, no. You were you were you were saying twenty. What was the budget? On no, no. Poltergeist? The budget uh, the budget on 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 uh, Poltergeist. I said was twenty. Oh, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking yeah, about Yeah, right. Okay, Poltergeist, I think, was 20. And, and this is old. This is me remembering this from decades ago. But, but and, and it's a tour de force of special effects, as you know. But then you go to Wrath of Khan, and it's more cerebral and everything. It does have great special effects in it and stuff. But you know me. I'm a special effects junkie. So when I see the repeated stuff of special effects that you didn't realize you had never It was already in Star Trek, the motion picture, blah, blah, blah. Right. But... There are things in there. Now I've completely forgotten what the hell my point was on this. I'm I am so goddamn old. Um, <laughs> uh, we were talking about something just before that. Before I went went on this whole thing. Uh, hell, I don't remember. I swear to God. Oh my I, God. I know. I, I know. Star Trek. No, 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 no. I just looked up the budget on Poltergeist. What was it? Ten point seven million. The budget on Poltergeist was ten point seven. Yes. Oh, I find that hard to believe. 
I I don't know. I well look at Poltergeist and 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 look at think about all the major special effects that they had in that. I find that hard to believe that Poltergeist. You know, it's not that hard for me to believe when you think about what kind of special effects we're talking about. Whereas yeah, in Star so. Trek, I mean, they're, they're in Poltergeist. Yeah, they're having to build some sets, but they're not science fiction. Well, sets. that's true. And that's true. Know. Maybe so. The thing is with Poltergeist is is the scenes with stuff flying around in the rooms and ghosts coming down the stairs yeah, and that yeah. giant underwater looking monster and the mom running down the hallway and the flipping the rooms and everything it was it was here's the next uh, here's the next visual onslaught here's the next visual onslaught here's the next visual onslaught wrath uh, of khan was not like that wrath of khan was plot 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 and then you've got some special. So by the time I got to the theater, I was already kind of run over by a tank. And so here I am watching. <laughs> it's almost like it would have been better to have watched them the other way around. In the opposite, in the opposite order. Yeah. In the opposite order. And like I said, but the good thing is, is that I recognize my love for the writing of this film by the fact that to me, the, the Captain Kirk getting older, the Captain Kirk having an illegitimate kid, the uh, Captain Kirk with the wife who doesn't really want to be with her woman who doesn't really want to be with him and take her kid away. I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is amazing to me because oh, it's, it's, it's brilliant story. It's brilliant. It's brilliant story writing, right? It's, it's that wonderful thing that you hope to see in a, in a franchise, product uh, and I'm using the word product in a way that I hope doesn't come off as denigrating right, but at the same right. time we have all of this background with these characters already we don't have to there's so many things we don't have to establish right we can build on it and 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 build in all of these wonderful details and that's what this movie's doing with Kirk. It's really effective stuff sure. because it builds on everything we already know about the character. Right. And, and it's extraordinarily well played. Yeah, the thing the thing that's tough on this film is is me knowing that the guy wants to leave. Uh, the other thing too that would happen later would be the fact that Kirstie Alley felt that she needed to be, you know, second or third behind Mr. Spock that she needed to have her credit you know behind Leonard Nimoy and everybody goes look there's a bunch of people that have been on Star Trek way longer than you you're at the bottom of the list and and your pay yeah. is going to reflect that and she didn't like that and went on about her business and then in Star Trek 3 we they had to move it over to Robin Curtis so we yeah. actually lost two people in that film we 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 lost Kirstie Alley and Leonard Nimoy, who the next film is all about bringing him back because they worked some a business deal with him. It should be called Star Trek Three: The Business Deal. But <laughs> but still, it was fairly or or, or, or Star Trek Three. Now we're going to destroy the ship. Oh my God, that was so good. We'll talk about that later. Uh, to me, it's one of those things where it was a it kind of formed the story the business behind the making of these films formed that story but spock's death in the in this film uh you know altered uh, probably i mean let's pretend that Leonard Nimoy was like yeah i love playing spock i'll stay in it and he doesn't die what would the next four or five films have been like you know who knows but um once uh, uh there's a couple of things that that I bring up and uh, it's been a little controversial, but I, I just feel like I'm right. 
I lived in Europe as a kid, and when I came back to the United States, I noticed there was a sort of like machismo in movies that was very um, like Clint Eastwood with a gun in your face. Shut up, punk. And I was like, wow, that's the answer, a gun in the face? I mean, I was kind of shocked by that as a kid in the early 70s. And as we got further along into the mid-70s and all that kind of stuff, there was this machismo. Macho was the thing. And I felt like that actually affected part of the Wrath of Khan that that kind of got on my nerves a little bit is that Mr. Spock and Kirk were separated from each other. Like Kirk, unlike in the episode uh, uh, Operation Annihilate or what was the one where the people are given the muskets by the Klingons or whatever, where Spock gets shot and Kirk grabs him and holds on to his friend like he's in a Greek painting, I felt like we had gotten to a point in film where that was not allowed men were not allowed to be affectionate with each other or 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 to do that and hmm. i remember being in the film watching the film and going going oh they separated him because of people nowadays and still and still in the movie theater people were laughing they were laughing at two guys. They were? Uh, there were some people people behind me. And this once again, it's it's something I can't erase or whatever. And this uh is that is that they were laughing at one guy being affectionate to another man, even through the glass. But I started noticing it got to a point where remember all classic Star Trek, Spock would get shot and Kirk would grab him. Spock, are you okay? And he would like lay in there and it looked like a Greek painting or, you know, yeah. in the Charlie X episode, one guy goes, get up in the Jeffries too. And he smacks the guy in the ass. You could do that kind of stuff. But this weird sort of, I don't even want to call it because they're not gay, but like this homophobia thing sort of seemed to come up. Yeah, and, and now yeah. it was sort of like did creep into that did creep into the to the mindset of people in the 1980s. In the uh, 1980s. Yeah, and when I watched yeah. Wrath of Khan and they had to separate those two, I said, if this had been the 60s, Kirk would have Spock with his head resting on his lap and crying. And somebody goes, well, it was radiation. I said, well, you could change it to toxic gas. I said this was done specifically because the audience, a section of the audience, is intolerant to. Well, so that's just it. I don't know that that's necessarily a thought process that these that the filmmakers. But and I felt it. Even, I, but but I was there in the theater. It just I just I I was just there watching it, and I'm like, oh, they're gonna pull something that old Star Trek wouldn't have done. Old Star Trek wouldn't have done this, and that's the way so that's, I felt. That's just it. I I. I, I really think that you're. Well, I'm not. I, I'm not overthinking th- th- this it. Is, it, was this a, is, it was a gut reaction. No, no, no. I'm going th- with I my gut, that, and that's just it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not denigrating your gut reaction because your gut reaction is is just is just that. But I do think that, and it's a big gut um, that you're trying. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> I, 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 don't distract me. I'm about to insult you, and I want to get to it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think that you may be. Um, plastering your your I think you may be reading into this something that was not even a concern or a thought behind what they were doing because what what the uh, the, the situation as presented in the film I, it, it doesn't read to me that way at all and I think that the the lie is put to it very simply by that incredible eulogy where Kirk cracks 
that is without a doubt one of the most emotionally affecting moments. Oh, it's a great it's a great scene until Scotty And he's 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 crying and he can't talk. No, 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 no. I, I, I agree with that. No, 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 no. I'm saying no, 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 no. I'm just, the actual I'm just act of one man of reading. one man touching another who are there they're straight at that point. It was, and there was already people snickering in the theater, like these guys are acting gay towards each other, and it's like, who gets That's first? Weird. Who I gives did not a shit? That. But yeah. I did. I'm sitting there going, this makes me a, a, a little unhappy because you know which episode I'm talking about. What's the one where they where the uh, Klingons are giving guys muskets and then they're trying to move up the level of the weapons? The one that's sort of a parable on private the, little private little private war, little war, and and they yeah. shoot Spock in the back, and Kirk runs to Spock and grabs him, or the one where the little flying uh, pizza monsters hit Spock on the back. I mean, it looks yeah. like a Greek painting, and back then that was okay, but it became un-okay because macho became the thing of the day. And you're 14 at the time; I'm 21. I remember. No, 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 I'm gonna, I agree with you. I remember about that. I remember that. That that arc. I remember that arc going on, and it's like Nicholas Meyer said, "I don't want to deal with this, so I'll put a screen between them." That's all I'm saying. I I, yeah, like I honestly like I say, believe it right. I, I and if somebody to, wants to, to, be able to uh, I would love to be able to ask Nicholas Meyer that. But the one well, time I don't even I know if him, he. I don't even yeah. know if he, in uh, in 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 the frontal lobe of his head, would go, "Yeah, you're right." I just think it was something at the time, in and the I was like, it was it was a hostility. It was a hostility towards men caring about men, and whether they were gay or straight. If you were straight and you did it, it was still like, "Hey, you're gay." And it was just, it was one of those things I was like, I was pissed. See, that's just it. I mean, do you feel that it, do you feel that it changed over the course of the eighties? Because I got news for you in, um, in Rocky four, there's slow motion hugging in the waves between Apollo Creed and, and those people. And and uh, that's what I'm saying. Those people didn't feel the same way. It's like nowadays you can see guys now, like you, see, know, you watch a TV see, show and two an guys greet each that's other. Just a few years later, it's eighty-two, and and you're watching um, you're watching uh, 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 people who are who are coming out of the 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 gay the gay revolution has been going on, and you've got uh, uh, people that are hostile towards it. And I'm telling you something right now, Rodney. I'm not going to lie. The the big barometer. One of the things that made me mad was two or three or four people behind me, a few seats behind me, laughing at this guy being upset that his friend is dying. To them, it was a big fucking joke. You see what I'm saying? I mean, I wasn't, it was like, I was feeling that a little bit. And then those guys are like, oh my God, the guy's like, you know, and then they're, they're putting their friends, they're putting their hands up to the glass and you've always been my friend. And I'm like, God damn it. You know? I mean, can I just fucking enjoy, uh, you know, something here or, 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 or get teary eyed about the fact that this one guy who I've given a shit about for well over a decade is dying and his friend is upset without two assholes or three assholes, a couple of seats behind me, bitch or, or laughing at it. You know what I'm saying? So there's something there. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't, I don't like the fact that, that, the old Star Trek would have done that, and this film was, I think, a little nervous about doing it. That's what I'm saying, and I stand by that. I, it was in my gut, and you know the old saying, "Trust your gut." I trust my gut, 
it's still a great but, scene. You know, it's it, it's it, it is a great scene, and it, and it's okay. It's okay. I've had for people when I was way. trying it's to explain okay, it. It's to okay you. for you. It's okay for you to be this incredibly wrong. I mean, you frequently are. No, you say that now. But, am am I, Are you actually saying <laughs> I'm wrong? Are you actually? No, saying? I'm saying I am saying that you are, in my opinion, putting you're putting something onto the scene and onto the creation of the scene. And onto the way the scene is played, that I don't think necessarily. And is I'm there. saying you were 14 when you saw it. That's what I keep saying. I was. And I was 55 I, when I watched it just the other day. I was 21. And I can tell I'm not that, saying you know, that, but but I'm saying that at that time, I feel that there was a pushback to make sure that heterosexual males did not look gay. And they didn't want to do it, so they did that to be safe. And I'm not saying it was conscious. I don't even blame Nicholas Meyer for his caution, but there is a thing, there was a thing going on out there that two men with their arms wrapped around each other or hugging each other or whatever was, <laughs> you guys are gay. You know? And that's all I'm saying. I just feel like it's it's one of those things where it's like, so guys aren't allowed you, to be do affectionate. That something do you do you think that that's something that still exists in uh, the way people are approaching these kind of things? To I think day? it's. I think nowadays it's not as bad. I don't. I don't think it's as bad. You see guys hugging each other. You see friends. I mean, you know me. I'm a huggy guy. I mean, every time I see you, even you, I'll hug you. I'll hug. I'll hug. <laughs> yeah, all, I try to avoid all it, my friends. Nah, well, it's true. because of my bo. But that's different. The thing exactly. is, is that is that with people, I just I I love affection, but you know, I didn't. It's just the way I felt about the scene. And people looked at me like I was crazy. Troy, I explained it to Troy, and Troy goes, "Oh, I see what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, there's there might be some merit to that, uh, you know." But um, but well, I, that's, I o- that's okay. Troy can be wrong too. But but, I mean. but well, I'll I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll send you the photograph from Operation Annihilate. You tell me that isn't two guys. That's the way I expected Spock, you know, to be dying there with Kirk holding on to him. But they had to put that piece of glass into him because of the way modern society was at the time, because people were going to snicker and they snickered anyway. And it pissed me off. You know, I know that's a very this is a bizarre, bizarre thing, but it's been it's stuck in my craw ever since 1982. You know, that's bizarre. You're right. This is a bizarre bizarre thing. And I have to admit this is I would, this was I, not even on the this is not even in the top twenty concepts and topics that I thought we were going to discuss. But, but, but here's the point: I, I I'm actually not going to be making a joke here. Actually, I want you to think about it. That's the thing: is that is that when I came back from Europe and I saw things like Clint Eastwood, Dirty Harry putting a, the gun was the answer, and all this kind of stuff, I was kind of shocked as a I don't know I think I was probably eight or nine or ten years old that the way the United States dealt with things. I was shocked about about the way macho was the thing because I knew it was all bullshit. I, I knew it wasn't it wasn't the answer. I knew that guns and the gun in the face, the gun is your answer. No, it's not an answer. If you gotta answer it with a gun, you've got a you've got a real problem. If oh, if, yeah, if, if one gotta, man if, whose best if the friend is to your que- yeah it, I mean if if one man's best friend is dying and you have to film it in a way to where he can't hold him and comfort him, I'm like, wow. And that's anyway. That's all I got to say about it. If you if you don't understand what I'm talking about, that's okay. well. No, I do understand what you're what you're talking about. It's just always seemed to me that was what was built into that scene was that it was that much worse. 
that they couldn't touch each well, other. Maybe so. Maybe so. I in mean, in other words, it was it was so bad, and that's just that just made it worse. That's what I, I don't know. I, that, maybe so. I mean, I'm not gonna. It, to me, it felt, you know, it it felt the well, it felt the way I thought it felt. The I mean, think uh, about the way the scene. Think about the way the scene plays out. Um, he he rushes down there. He, he, and if you'll notice, he doesn't even do the thing that he should have done, which is assign the con to someone before he leaves the bridge. He's not thinking clearly. He gets down there and is about to do the one thing that's going to kill everybody in engineering and has to be physically stopped. It's it, Like I say, I, I, it reads differently to me, but yeah. Mm. Like I said, the 60 show had it better. It like, oh my God, Spock! Rush up, grab him. He's dying. Die in his arms. That's all I'm saying. I just remember uh, that was the way it hit me in the film. But um, you know, you get you get past that, and it is the wording, the verbiage in that in that scene is great. The the, oh, yeah. the dialogue is fantastic. Shatner's fantastic. Nimoy's fantastic. Other than the the makeup smearing on the uh, the glass. Well, and, I, don't, I don't know that 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 is not always that that is not played as. Um... That has never played to me as makeup smearing on the glass. That's always been much grosser than that to me. <laughs> well, that's yes, but it, yeah. But when he hits it with his nose, I kind of—I mean, I saw it on the big screen. I was like in the third row the first day. No, no. What that what that reads to me is um, his skin coming off. That's hideous <laughs> to my to my, to my way. Every time I see that scene, I'm just like, oh god, oh god, oh god. That's awful. Right. That's. Uh, but then they get to the funeral, and Kirk gives a great. You know, eulogy. He's fantastic. Shatner's fantastic through this whole film. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I'm that. I, I, I'm not crazy about the Scottish bagpipes for Spock. I, I just, I, I feel like he's from Vulcan. It's like Scotty would start that stuff up if Spock was still alive. He'd be like, uh, <laughs> what the hell is this? Well, here's 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 another question. Well, this is this is kind of a general statement, but we all. Let's be let's be clear. We're all Star Trek fans here, but of we've course. all also made humongous jokes about Shatner's acting over the years. I mean, come on, we all do it. I mean, and, and it's and it's 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 a joy. It's fun, and luckily, he's also made fun of the shit over the years as well. Right. But when, when I'll never forget the moment that I realized that my brain had changed. It kind of twisted into thinking that Shatner was not a very good actor and how I had that really realigned in my head was a review of uh, Star Trek Four a few years later where this particular film reviewer was praising the film and he said, uh, William Shatner is excellent in this movie. Mm-hmm. And let's be clear, he's the best actor in, you know, he's the, he's the best actor in this film. He's the real actor in this movie. Hmm. And that was the moment when I realized, okay, someone out, someone other than me, outside of my own head, who's a professional, is is going out of his way to say, this guy's really good. Okay. And that's that's where I finally was allowed in my just in my own tortured brain of because at that point it's the eighties. We're all you know, we're all comfortable making fun of the the odd pauses and the the uh, the idiosyncratic way of speaking that is very much on display in the you know the the television show, sure. but really isn't there to a large degree in the films. Uh, he really does come off extraordinarily extraordinarily uh, naturalistic and, and effective in these films 
uh, as he in credit where credit's due, he did in in most of the TV show as well. But there are those moments yeah. that that stand out where you're you know no matter how old you are, no matter how many times you've seen the episode, you're you're kind of smiling because of the way he's delivering the line and not because of the content of what he's saying. Sure. And uh, the the thing is. He's he's really good in this. Now there are other good actors in these films. Sometimes some of the some of the the, the best acting comes from some of the guest actors. There are times in um, especially in uh, uh, six and four where you're just you're just sitting there going, man, there's some they've hired some good people here. They've put sure, some people on sure, screen here sure. that know what the fuck they're doing. Sure. Um, but the uh, the the joy the the joys to me of going back to these movies really is kind of as a, an older fan letting myself admire Shatner in these films yeah and I'll be honest uh, I it, this is the first time going through these movies and I'm gonna enjoy doing this as we go forward mm-hmm. letting myself just ease into these movies without feeling kind of defensive about my enjoyment of his performances okay I think he's very good here kind of bloodsucker. You're going to have to do your own dirty work now. Do you hear me? Do you? Kirk. Kirk, you're still alive, my old friend. Still old friend. You managed to kill just about everyone else, but like a poor marksman, you keep missing the target. Perhaps I no longer need to try, Admiral. Oh no, the joy can't take it! Khan. Khan, you've got Genesis, but you don't have me. You are going to kill me, Khan. You're going to have to come down here. You're going to have to come down here. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her, marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead planet, buried alive. Okay, so and, and with with Shatner, I completely agree with you. I think that Shatner's acting, uh, especially in the first season of the original show, was magnificent. Especially, like you said, the first first part where it looked more like a movie. Yes, uh, they had him kind of toned down and everything like that. I think third season Shatner was. We don't have any money for special effects. The budget's been slashed. Let's let this guy go off the chain to fill in the time. And it was like uh, the episode where uh, Plato's stepchildren or whatever, he turns into a horse or whatever. And it was like, I showed it to my kids the other day, and I thought that they were going to have brain hemorrhages. But (laughs) if you take Shatner and you look at him, he is fun. He is 
fun to watch. He is, I mean, if you watch him in Judgment at Nuremberg, or you watch him in, what was the one where he's the racist guy, the old Roger Corman oh, yeah. movie. Um, um, uh, you, oh, uh, yeah. Well, it has multiple well, I can't names. I'm blanking. It was called I Hate Your Guts was one of the names, and the... Yeah, Shatner. Uh, I mean, where uh, Corman kept trying to find a way to make and the damn and thing he uh, uh, and then even in and he does some uh, uh, overacting in this, the Outer Limits episode, uh, Cold Hands, Warm Heart, and then in the episode of Twilight Zone with the monster on the wing of the plane. I mean, he he really is full Shatner in that. But there is the Intruder. Yeah, the, the Intruder exactly. Yeah. And the thing is, if you look at him though, it's like, but everybody seemed to enjoy that. Okay, so then you get to to him being kind of toned down a bit in the first season of Star Trek. He's very serious. He's very sexy. He's very you know sharp eyed and everything. You know, I keep on thinking of him in uh, Balance of Terror or something like that. Yeah, actually, which uh, is the most recent episode of the original run that I just re- that I've most recently rewatched. It's oh, just a, it's a brilliant it's episode. One of- it's in my top three episodes yeah, yeah. It's and good. and he's so good in it. And then later, you know, he gets more and I don't blame him. I blame Fred Freiberger and, you know, let's let this guy go off the chain. But then you get to the movies and he's more subdued one because of the brain of Nicholas Meyer saying, let's let, let this, let's do a Stanley Kubrick and shoot enough takes to where Shatner gets tired. Yep, yep. And he calms down, which he does in this film. And then the later films, I think, uh, I think maybe whoever else was there watching <laughs> Leonard Nimoy maybe learned from Meyer uh, and said, "Let's let's keep doing this until then." Although, but but well, there well there's no- also the fact that if you're being directed by someone who is a good friend, yeah, that good friend can take you to the side and go tone it the fuck down. Sure, you know. But 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 I look at Shatner for television, and in this case, movies too. The way I look at Charlton Heston, there are actors that are method actors, and then there are actors like Charlton Heston and William Shatner who just give you everything. They let you know as if you're a little kid and you watch a Charlton Heston film. Yeah, you can. That's why so many young people love Charlton Heston and still do. Because they go, oh, I love that movie. I love Ten Commandments, or I love, you know, Planet of the Apes, or whatever. And, and he's he's a guy that that hands you his guts on a plate. And so does Shatner. They're not Gary Oldman. They're not Dustin Hoffman. They're not Paul Newman. They're not the method actors. They are these guys that go. Here's the information that you seek from this guy. And Shatner's very good at that. And when people, you know, uh, pick on Shatner, it's like, I get the moments when he did goofy stuff and, and everything, and he sang Rocket Man and all that shit. But there's a lot about him that's really great. I, I find him to be incredibly entertaining to watch, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, and uh, these films have got a lot of it. And like you said, he's, he's kind of toned down. I mean, in Wrath of Khan, where he goes... I mean, he's he's off the chain, but I get. I think there was no other way to film that shot. Well, you not, know? well not only that, but what's great is the second time you see the film, you understand there's a valid reason for him to over to over overdo do that, it. To, to over amp that because he's trying to he's trying to keep that guy off balance. He's trying to, because at that point, Kirk already knows he's got an he's got a trick up his sleeve. He already is aware. 
No one yeah, else is. No one it's else. A ruse. Yeah, yeah. So him his, doing his that, yelling is a ruse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's that's brilliant because it, it allows it, it allows you to kind of go okay. So maybe they had to have you know your first time through. Oh, I guess they had to let Shatner have one crazy moment, and here it is, where his his voice echoes across the entire planetoid, and it's like, you know, after the fact, you're like, oh no, wait a minute, he was trying to keep this guy from thinking too clearly. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean that's my favorite part of the film is the they beam down into the center of the uh, regular one the 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 planet. They uh, uh, they beam down in there, and that's when you know you find out after he has a fight uh, a, 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 a small fist fight with his son, and and uh, Paul Winfield kills himself with the phaser and all that kind of stuff because he's got those worm things in his head and all that 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 you. You know, you talk to his uh, old girlfriend, and the fact that he's got a son from her, and that she kept them separate, and all that. And I'm like, I mean, that was the part that still blows me away to this day. I watched it again tonight. And I'm like, wow, wow, this still packs a punch. I mean, especially if you're a Star Trek fan already, and you knew all the. You know, Captain Kirk, Macho, uh, uh, you know, uh, getting laid sort of things that he did back in the 60s. It's like, huh, it caught up with you. It's well, still tell to me, me something, is tell amazing. Me something. There's, there's, one, there's one actor that we've, we've kind of skated around, and that is the, uh, the big guest actor, Khan Oh, himself. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, we shouldn't have, yeah, that's crazy. We, 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 can't, we can't, we can't, we can't not talk you, you, about You Ricardo brought a guy, talk. you brought on a guy that I don't want to say he was a joke because that's too strong a word. But he was um, well. He was thought a, of differently because it, of his incredible success with Fantasy Island. Well, but Fantasy Island, but also Rich Corinthian Leather, yeah, and yeah. all of his years in '60s television, his episodes of Mission Impossible and Star Trek, and a bunch of other things where he'd come on as the that week's bad guy, usually the bad guy, and he had been like romantic leads before that, and and you bring him on. And I'm watching him in this film, and I'm like, wow, this guy really is getting to be in a film, a Mm -hmm. movie. But I'm watching him. I'm watching him again today. And apparently Meyer had had said that the first time he went through the scene, he was over the top, and he took him in, and he's like, "Look, crazy needs to be subdued." Yeah, I you mean, don't want that, to show him crazy is, right out of the thing, but the, 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 that's God. that's it, and and it's brilliant. Played. There's 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 this great uh, piece uh, from an interview with Ricardo Montalban years after the fact. He yeah. he's saying uh, when I started to articulate the words of Khan for myself, I sounded like Mr. Rourke, and I was very concerned about it. Then uh-huh. I then I asked Harv Bennett to send me a tape of the old show and and that uh, and that did it. I ran it two or three times. When I first saw it, I didn't even remember what I did. On the yeah. third viewing, a strange thing happened to me, and I started reliving the moment and the mental process that I had arrived at at that time began to work in me, and I associated myself with that character more and more. Now this character presented a different problem in this film. The original character was in total control of the situation, guided simply by his overriding ambition. The new character, however, was obsessed. He was a man obsessed with vengeance for the death of his wife, for which he blamed Kirk. If he was bigger than life before, I felt he really had to become bigger than life, almost at the point of becoming ludicrous to be effective. 
If I didn't right. play it fully and totally obsessed with this, then I think the character would be little and insignificant and uninteresting. The danger was in going overboard. I had to be, if not deranged, then very close to it. I had to find a tone of really going right to the razor's edge before the character became a caricature. Yeah. I mean, he is so good in this, and I'm happy for him. I'm happy for a guy. It's sort of like the Martin Landau thing. You know, Martin Landau had gotten into a rut and everything, and the same thing here with uh, Ricardo Montalban. He was sort of, he was Mr. Wark. He was the rich Corinthian leather, uh, you know, advertising guy for the car and all that. But you watch him in this and he is so damn good. He takes that, that helmet off for the first time Uh with the wraps around it. And he's very calm. His eyes are very calm. And, and he is, I don't know. There's something about it. I'm just like, wow, this guy is being given another shot. It's like Quentin Tarantino bringing, dusting people off and bringing them out, you know, who you haven't thought about for years, and they get to come back. And this is the same thing with him. I mean, through the whole movie when his uh you know significant number one is going look we uh you know we can't go in there uh you know our 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 uh we, we shields won't, shields, won't work yeah. and we won't have sure shields or anyway and and at first and he, and he sort of and and Khan sort of like looks at the floor and looks around and goes eh, yeah, okay and i'm like the subtlety of his performance and i'm like he's doing a fantastic job but he is also a compliment to Shatner. Yeah. He is on their ship, their Shatner. It's sort of like William Wyndham in Doomsday Machine or, or William Marshall. Now, I'm naming my favorite episodes here, which my three absolute favorite episodes are Balance of Terror with Mark Leonard, uh, Doomsday Machine with William Wyndham, yep. and Ultimate Computer with William Marshall. And those guys are at the level of Shatner. They are bigger than life people. They play really well off of each other. And the only thing I'm sad about in Wrath of Khan is that Khan and Kirk don't actually get to physically be in the same room together at any point in the film. But still, the way that they play off of each other is superb. I mean, they yeah. do a fantastic job. Well, here's a, great, here's a great quote from Nicholas Meyer about, uh, about Khan. He says, I remember saying, apropos of Khan, uh, you know, the thing about a crazy person is that a crazy person doesn't have to raise their voice because you just never know what they're going to do next. And I sort of lashed out with my arm around Montalban's neck, and he understood. He got it. And Man. then it was just a question of endlessly fine-tuning. He would look at me before every take or after every take and go, too much, too little. And it was like driving a Maserati. You just didn't have to do much to get the response. Yeah, I think I think uh, Ricardo Montalban was a seasoned professional. He could he could uh, you know down downshift when he needed to. You know, uh, several years back, I was watching one of those Benedict Cumberbatch uh, Sherlock Holmes shows, and uh, they finally brought out I think Moriarty. I think that's who mm-hmm. it was, and it was awful. The guy was real quiet for a few seconds, and then he was screaming, and then he was quiet, and then he was screaming again. And I'm like, villains. You know, uh, villains are like Boris Karloff and Vincent Price and Peter Cushing. They're very quiet. They're not screaming and yelling because that just comes across as so fake. And I think that's a bit of what we're talking about here, where where uh, Ricardo Montalban downplayed. Every once in a while, he'd yell, you know, 
uh, you know. Well, he would lose. Forward. He would very obviously lose control of his emotions. Sure. And, and, and but that's, it was within. And, and it was those. It was those unpredictable moments that built the tension in the quiet moments. Yeah, I always felt so happy for him. I remember he came on Larry King live one time, and he just talked about. Yeah, almost. He talked about Wrath of Khan as if it was like a, you know, a second life for him. Oh, the yeah. way the fans embraced him and everything, and and I was happy for him. It, like I said, it was like Martin Landau. The last years he had been on like Cinemax two o'clock in the morning, you know, pieces of junk, and then he turns around and gets three Oscar nominations and 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 leaves this world on top. And I felt that same way about about Ricardo Montalban. He was he was uh, he was loved tremendously by a whole bunch of young people and stuff like that uh, because of this performance and he's damn good at it. You well, know, I, I've, it got really to, I've got to say the thing about the, the thing about Montalban is he's, he's fantastic in the film. It gave him, um, it gave him a whole, you're right. It gave him a whole second life in his career, but sure. you know, he wasn't exactly hurting at the time. I mean, no, actually, I would actually say that was his third life yeah, because, I mean, because Mr. Rourke was the second yeah. life. Yeah. 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 But after that, he's, after that, he's like, he's the guy they're calling up asking to be, you know, in a naked gun film or, or, uh, you know, yeah. g- g- come in and do uh, voice work on cartoons because, uh, all of the kids are going to recognize that voice and just freaking, you know, flip out stuff like that. Um, he was a good actor. I mean, yeah, he was a really fantastic. good actor. And it's funny too because you think about him being on Star Trek and Mission Impossible. He was on the Mission Impossible episode back in the '60s where, you know, they melt all the gold and then they 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 pull it down into this tunnel or whatever. And Ricardo Montalban goes to get it or whatever, and there's like a a, a robot thing sitting there with dynamite on it that blows him to bits. <laughs> and it's funny because. Star Trek and Mission Impossible are still going to this day. You know, yeah, the, the, yeah. the stuff that Herbert Solo sold back way back in the day are still trucking. And, uh, you know, but that was the kind of thing that I remember Montauban from was stuff like Mission Impossible and, and, and playing villains on television shows. And it was nice to see him get to come out and, you know, uh, you know be in the modern light at the time and he's beloved i mean people go crazy for him you know they still they still love that you know they still love uh, uh, i have to say this is a weird thing to be able to say but i do feel that there's one really fine actor in the movie who kind of gets short shrift but it's uh, only it's only because i think not as many people knew at the time just how good the guy was and that's paul that's paul winfield he's an incredibly good actor and he has uh, he has a very limited role in this movie Sure. Uh, he's he's quite good in the film. He, don't get me wrong. He's fine. But at the same time, uh, if if ten years later you're casting Paul Winfield in something, he'd have had a bigger role. <laughs> well, here's the thing with Paul Winfield. He was already bigger at first. When we were children, my dad took us to see the movie Sounder, and mm-hmm. he's a, a black man who gets falsely arrested and all that kind of stuff. And it's a it's a movie about a dog, but it was very popular. It was a very big movie in the early 70s. And he would come and go in different things, but he was bigger at first. And then I looked at this sort of, I don't want to say it was a step down because, you know, now, you know, that's legions of fans behind this film. But he um, he never got to the level I felt that he deserved ultimately. Agreed. And agree. yet, and yet, he was a terrific actor. But he was a guy who could play. I don't want to say the word victim, but people who were 
well, victimized. Uh, in Sounder, he was a guy that got thrown in prison who didn't deserve it. And in, um, um, and in, in, in Wrath of Khan, he was a starship captain who had a goddamn thing put in his head that was controlling him to do evil shit and finally it killed himself rather than kill another person. Mm-hmm. And and you sort of, I mean, I feel for him, but it's like, you know, there's Paul Winfield playing a guy who got fucked over again, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and he does. He's, he, he was good at that role. But, yes, I mean, it would have been nicer to have had the role bigger and expanded, but that was what the character was supposed to do you know him and Chekhov I mean the two the two the two victims you know? um, well you know, here's, I, the, here's the thing uh, if, you, if you look at all the if you look at those first six Trek films you gotta you gotta understand Paul Winfield he's uh, he's one of the few people that you can point to in those movies who was nominated for an Oscar and that was for Sounder he, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he was nominated for an Oscar he won he was nominated multiple times for Emmys and won an Emmy in 1995. And, oh, for uh, for an uh, outstanding guest actor in a drama series. It was in an episode of Picket Fences. He played a judge. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. He, he, he was, he, he was, he was very, a good actor. Very, yeah. It's one of those people that's comfortable in their own skin. You watch him and go, okay, good. We know we're going to get a good performance out of this guy. Yeah. He's even good being that goofy, funny general in Mars Attacks, man. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, honey. If I if I never made any, if I never did anything, well, you and I did an episode of Mars Attacks, you know. Where he, uh-huh. if I, if I never made any waves or anything, I'd get promoted. It was the funniest, uh-huh. like almost the exact opposite of the truth, but it was hilarious. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of who else. Is there anybody else we picked? I mean, you know, of course, Uhura's real good in it. I like the way that she's sort of like you know, kept, you know, gallivanting for around the the cosmos is for the young, and she goes, "What what is that supposed yeah, to mean?" What is he talking about? Yeah, well, yeah, that kind of thing. And of course, Chekhov got a big role. Uh, Savic really, is really very on, good. honestly, Uhura and Sulu get the least to do, but they do still get things to do. Yeah. Well, I would say she does more than Sulu. I still feel he got a little bit, and I'm not going to buy into the the whole. Like I said earlier in the show, I'm not going to buy into the George Takei. He went William Shatner. He needs to quit that crap because people are getting sick of it. But the uh, but but Uhura has more, but uh, still not as much as she would like. But you know, um, I'm trying to think of who else. And of course, like we we talked a bit about Kirstie Alley. She's very very good. She's she's a a, a very perfect uh, choice on their part to play a Vulcan woman. Uh, I think is it it was she half Vulcan half Romulan or am I making is that wrong? I think she was just a Vulcan. Just a pure Vulcan. Yeah. I couldn't remember, but she was very good. And I'm assuming that when Spock died and she, he was really dead, dead, that she was going to be the replacement for him in the films. Uh, but yeah, two and things I kind, happened. And I kind of remember thinking that that was probably the thinking for bringing on another Vulcan character in the first place. Yeah. But Harv Bennett wrote in the torpedo landing on the surface of the planet. Oh yeah, because of the test because the test screenings, everybody everybody feeling ah oh, shit, man, this this is a real downer of an ending. So they they had those shots on the Genesis planet. Yeah, that that I've thought about that a lot, and I've realized that yeah, if they hadn't used if they hadn't had those scenes with with the with the coffin on the planet, it yeah. would have it would have been a bit more of a downer than I think because 
it would have worked. It it would have worked against the uh, the kind of upbeat feeling that we were tr- that they were trying to get across in the dialogue in that final scene with sh- with uh, with Shatner and DeForest Kelly there. Well, Star Trek did have downer endings. I mean, the episodes did. I mean, it, we're basically talking about a precaution. They that is a parachute on this film where you're okay spock's dead but here's a parachute just in case we don't want him dead and i'm sort of like well you guys should have maybe talked to leonard nimoy sooner and said look don't die be in the film and we'll let you direct the next film but it was almost like the the business people didn't catch up with the writers you know what i mean let's let's pretend that that uh you know the uh, you know uh, they 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 said you know if we ask if we offer leonard nimoy a directorship on the next film maybe he won't leave and we don't have to do this whole death of spock thing i would have preferred that and seen him do uh, you know seen him do you know four or five other other films rather than let's patch let's get spock back together and then in star trek 4 he's kind of nutty you know, finally by Star Trek Five, which sucks. He's he's normal. Well, and that's then that's the st- thing is that's that, that's another thing that we can lay at the door of uh, of uh, Nimoy wanting to be a film director is that um, one of the things written into Shatner's contract apparently was uh, an equity between the two of them. So if Leonard got the chance to direct a film, Shatner was going to get the chance to direct a film. So, thank <sighs> Lord. Uh, yeah, I will tell you this. Uh, uh, and I'll say this now on this episode, just to, you know, for the trains that come in our direction, I don't know. It, 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 it has been so tough for me to watch Star Trek five. I tried to watch it about six months ago and I got about 10 minutes in and I had to turn it off. I will actually watch it to do an episode with you. Yeah. But it's 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 going to be tough. The other films, Star Trek Three is going to be our next one. Yeah. I have I there is greatness in that film, and there is not greatness in that film. At well, least I, 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 I love it. I love it, but it's it's not as good as. Oh, the you film you, for- you you love you love Star Trek Three. I love it. It's not as good okay, as this okay. film. It's not as good no. as this film. It's not as good as four, and it's not as good as six. But I, I, I agree with yeah. you. But it's still it's still a movie that I rewatch a lot. I mean, you got to realize. I mean, for a person that says I've got some complaints with Wrath of Khan, I've probably seen it. Oh, God, I have no clue. Fifty, a hundred times, something like that. Star Trek, Star Trek four, Star Trek six, Star Trek three. I've watched so many. I watched Star Trek three seven times at the theater. I went to the theater oh, seven damn, really? times wow. and watched. Yeah. Um, and and still I've got complaints on it, but there is greatness in it. Well, we'll and so we'll, we'll be talking we'll about we'll that discuss, soon. We'll discuss three next time. Um, but five is gonna be a slog, dude. You're <laughs> well, gonna have to is, shoot it, me up with drugs. I'm gonna this is gonna be a weird admission, but I have to say I I am kind of looking forward to going back to five because it is so bad. There's a part of me that wonders if some of the if some of my reactions are going to be similar to my reaction when I saw it in the theater, where I I was I was there with a friend, I, we we were we, we we were watching it together, yeah. and we both just kept looking at each other, going, "Oh my God, what the fuck have they done here?" And I kept wanting to have a discussion with him while we were watching Five, going, "Doesn't is doesn't this contradict?" Things that we already know about the Star Trek universe. Doesn't this contradict good filmmaking? Well, that, that, uh, that's, that's beside the point. <laughs> oh my God! I that's, mean, I'm, I'm like, I mean, I, I will tell you this, Rodney. You and I 
you know, get at odds with each other. We butt heads, we pick on each other and all that kind of stuff. But when you and I do Star Trek five, both of us are going to have our fangs bared and we're going <laughs> to sink them into this film. And it's going to make our episode about independence day look like nothing. This is probably true. Nothing. So, so, so. tell me if, uh, if you had to wrap up your thoughts about wrath of Khan, um, what, what 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 are your what are your feelings? What do you what what, what, what I would you, what say would that it? while visually, um, it, it, I mean, my favorite Star Trek film is still Star Trek motion picture from a visual sense. That's okay. all I mean is visual. I would say that Wrath of Khan is part of the three films that where the writing is great and it's all that. I don't put one over the other. Some people say Wrath of Khan is the best Star Trek film. I don't I don't think that. I think it's Two, four, and six are their 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 written masterpieces for mm. different reasons. But I think it is a very good film. It's amazing what Nicholas Meyer did, uh, especially with the budget being slashed so much. Um, I don't think it's a perfect film, but I think it's a film that has greatness in it. And I'll be watching it again and again and again. I mean, I just got just bought the goddamn 4K. You know, like six months ago, with all the other Star Trek films, so you know, I'll be, I, you know, I'll be watching it again and again, and uh, you know, uh, I, 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 like I said, it's it's the film that kind of, uh, in terms of the warmth and fuzziness, brought Star Trek back. Uh, yeah, and it uh, also it made it a viable ongoing franchise that, and I think that that's uh, something that we can all be happy about because. Now, the things that 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 came after it, we can you know we can like or dislike, but thank God Star Trek is still alive and kicking. So, oh yeah, as a matter of fact, I think lately it's been doing pretty good with like season three of Picard, and I think Strange New Worlds is doing pretty good. Now, yeah, now that I've finally fans. seen the uh, the first season of Strange New Worlds, I'm like, holy shit, this this already had potential, but this is this. Did is you watch now. season three of Picard? Uh, no, I haven't gotten there yet. I actually just now working my way through season two of Picard so that I can get yeah, to season that three. one. The the first two seasons were meh. Third well, the, fir- season. the first season, the first season, I thought was okay. So far at the midpoint on season two of Picard, I'm like, well, this is I'm enjoying this more than I did the first season. Right, it's, right, yeah, yeah. So, well, let me let me just tell you this before you watch season three. There is a lot of fan service in season three, but if you don't mind fan service, you're going to have a very good time. I do not. I do not mind fan service. I really it was don't. it was it was real good, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, you know, if you want to, maybe we can do an episode on that because I personally think season three of Picard is their Wrath of Khan. Oh well, I've heard many positive things, and we'll eventually yeah, get. To it's there. It's the it's the closest thing they got. They finally are. They're wrapping up. It's actually their Star Trek Con and and Star Trek Six. It's it's sort of they're 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 quite a bit older, and it's their wrap up. But I'm sort of like watching it going, my God, I'm having such a good time. And and I was never as big a Next Generation fan as I was Classic Trek. But yeah, it, yeah, me this either. is pretty me damn either. good. They do a good job. Okay, cool. Well, cool. Thanks. Uh, I, I have to say, I'm I'm enjoying going back through the Star Trek films in chronological order. I'm, you know, not not much of a shock the the uh, the joys that come from rewatching this one, and uh, I think that uh, I'll be honest, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to digging into three because yeah, it is uh, it's it's got it's got a lot of good and some things where you're going, 
whoa, how much money did they have to make this thing? So <laughs> that'll be a that'll be a, an open question for debate when we, I, I, when we talk I, about well, that. After, after hearing about what you your thoughts, your brief thoughts were, I, I I think you and I'll be a lot more in tune with it than I thought we were. I didn't know whether you were going to rip into it or not. Oh but no, so no, no, I've always so had I'm interested. In, yeah. Oh, good, cool. Yeah, Sounds yeah. good, man. Cool. All right, Mark. Once again, uh, well, before we go, uh, I saw you posted uh, before we recorded here. I saw that you had posted uh, the cover of uh, a magazine that you'd done uh, where you were uh, you'd done uh, White Zombie, the uh, the Lugosi film. Uh, is that your most recent work that you can discuss? Um, I've got uh, yeah, uh, uh, White Zombie for Monster Bash magazine. Uh, I've got a project I'm working on with, uh, Rocco Jerome for his ghost agents comic. Cool. And I've got a movie poster that I'm doing for Joshua Kennedy and then a, uh, 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 red menace, uh, uh, action adventure book. Uh, I've, I've been doing this series, uh, from a character called red menace and that's just in the next month or two. So that's what I'm working on. Plus a couple of illustrations for little shop of horrors. So I'm staying very busy, very, very busy. So uh, sounds that way, my lord. You know, but yeah, things are going good, and uh, you know, and it was it was good to it was good to take a break and come on the show, though. I really enjoy being on here with you. Well, man, regardless of uh, how much it's obvious that I detest you, it's it's good to have you on as a guest. <laughs> Shut up. Thank you, Marty. Thank you, bud. All right, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you very much for joining Mark and I to talk about Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Definitely one of the best genre films of 1982. Of course, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, 1982 was a pretty packed year. For film in general and for the genre of science fiction, fantasy, and horror (laughs) altogether, my goodness, definitely on the short list for best year in genre cinema. Along with 1968 and a few other years, we can talk about them at another time. But if you have anything to say about The Wrath of Khan or Star Trek in general or any other film or television show that we've talked about here on The Bloody Pit, the email address to reach us is thebloodypit at gmail.com and we would love to hear from you. So once again, thank you very much for listening. Mark and I will be back in a few weeks to talk about Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock. And uh, we'll uh, have a few other episodes in between now and then as well. Probably got a lot of things on the boil. Boy, howdy. So once again, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.
frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Your ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life forms and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before.